What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 21 of the Set the Bar podcast. I'm your host, Ben Todd, and happy 2024. I hope the year is starting out great for you guys. I'm so excited to be back on the show. I know I've been out for a few months. Life just got in the way. I'm super excited to be back here. I'm super excited to be kicking off the year back on the podcast. I've got a lot of really great ideas lined up for this year. A lot of great things that I'm trying to do, a lot of great guests I'm trying to have on. So super pumped to be back. Glad to be here with you guys. I have an absolute awesome interview to kick the year off. I sat down with a friend of mine, Mike Taro Jr., who is a lawyer, bodybuilder, and also co-hosts a really successful dating podcast called When Sex Happens. Um, We had a fantastic conversation. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. You're going to find a lot of value in it. He's a very interesting guy, and I hope you guys found as much value and enjoyment as I did. And so with that, let's get into it. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Set the Bar. I'm Ben. I'm your host. Happy 2024. I know I've had a hiatus for a little while on the podcast scene. Uh, The end of the year was kind of crazy for me. Um, So I'm looking forward to being back this year. I have a lot of really great um, ideas and guests lined up for the year, and I can't wait to share them with you guys. I hope everybody's year is starting off well. Um, I'm starting the year off extremely well in all areas of life. Um, Work is going great. Training is going great. Um, And I'm just really in a good spot in life. So happy to be here. Happy to be back on the show. And I have a great guest to start the year off. Um, This is a conversation that he and I have been trying to set up for quite some time now. And it just hasn't worked out due to timing. Um, But we're here now. And I think today is going to be a great conversation that I'm uh, really excited for you guys to, to hear. So with that, My guest today is a contracts and business attorney who currently resides in Tampa, Florida. He graduated from Suffolk University Law School in Boston in 2021. He's an aspiring bodybuilder and co-host of the wildly successful podcast, When Sex Happens. Please welcome Michael Taro Jr. Mike, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, dude, that was uh, (laughs) such a humbling introduction. I appreciate it. Happy 2024, and uh, I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. We... uh, I know we've been we've been trying to do this. We've been kind of going back and forth about having an interview and sitting down and chatting. Um, we've we've chatted kind of offline quite uh, quite a bit, um, but uh, I think you know it'd be it would be great to have you on as a guest. Um, obviously, you've got uh, you've done quite a few things in life so far, and I mean you're still a young guy and you still got a lot of time to go in life. And um, I just really find you interesting, and uh, you know I think a lot of people can benefit from just the the journey that you've had and kind of how you've been able to, you know, persevere and um, continue to to grow and uh, and learn and progress just in life in general. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you. Oh, dude, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, that's what it's all about, man. It's like if one thing comes up and uh, you just keep moving forward. You stay committed to what you're doing. And, you know, here we are. And, you know, we're just we're grinding it out. We stick with it. And that's it. I mean, that's that's the key to life. I, you know, I found that as you get older and as, as time kind of goes on, I mean, it, learning and growing is so important just to, just to being able to navigate through life and not stay stagnant in the same spot. If you really are trying to improve in, 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 in any area of life, if you're trying to improve, trying to grow, trying to um, do more then then learning and um, continuing to push forward is, is so important and it's so key. And I think you've, you've done a, a great job of that so far in your life. So I really ad- admire and respect that. Well, oh, man, I, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, that and like, uh, like I've been saying, I've been following what you've been doing, you know, since you've been talking and just, you know, the whole premise behind this and uh, getting people to aspire to be something more and kind of develop themselves in the same way. I, it, 
think is awesome because that's really the more rewarding aspect of chasing those kinds of goals. So it's great. Absolutely. It's, you know, and, and I think that's the whole purpose thing is, is trying to enjoy the journey yeah. and trying to enjoy the process and not get too wrapped up in what the end goal is. The end goal is there just to kind of push you. Um, but I really just kind of enjoy the process of getting to that goal and, and whatever happens with the ultimate goal is whatever happens, but just trying to enjoy the process is, is the most rewarding part for me. Dude, that's what it's all about. And like, I actually, I heard this, uh, clip that was going around from a podcast. I can't remember who said it exactly, but the quote was something like, uh, the guy who enjoys walking is going to get a lot further than the guy who enjoys the destination. Right. 100%. You know, that really just puts it in perspective because the less, you know, detached you can be from the outcome, the, the more you're going to be fueled along the way. And I think Nick Saban does a really good job of of kind of illustrating that as well in, in his coaching career. I mean, he's very all about the process. And um, obviously, you know, they would like to win as many national championships as they can. But, you know, in practicality, that's not that's not going to happen. You know, you're going to get beat. You're going to end up losing some games, whatever. But his his philosophy of the process and the process and the process. I mean, I think it, that really resonates well with a lot of people. Yeah, You know, I, I will say. The thing I found about focusing on that is it's more applicable to different scenarios. You right. know, like for me, like in the beginning, it was like you learn how to grind. Like you learn how to do hard stuff. If you apply that mentality to other things, it's going to help you more than if it was like, okay, I'm chasing this specific goal. You right. know, if I'm trying to be X body weight, that doesn't really help me if I'm trying to do this in my career. That's step. Right. You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, Absolutely. So, so we've actually never met physically. We, uh, we've just been doing these virtual, like, internet, social media chats over the course of, of time. So um, I found you on Instagram um, because you are currently um, training underneath one of my old bodybuilding coaches, Brandon Long. Um, and so I know we had a, a bunch of mutual friends on Instagram and I had kind of seen your stuff. And, um, so we started following each other. And then as I started to kind of like learn more about you just through like what you posted and, um, I really kind of resonated with kind of what you, how you operate as a person and kind of what your philosophy is and what your mentality is. Um, and, um, you know, I, I thought that, you and I would be very similar in just mindset and um, kind of the way that we operate on a day to day basis. So um, I'm looking forward to actually meeting you someday. I think uh, I think that'd be dope. Whether we uh, we get a training session in or rip another like in person podcast or whatever that might look like, but um, you know for sure we should, we should definitely festival. You never know. Maybe maybe a music <laughs> festival. There's there's a big one in uh, in March coming up that uh, I'll be down in Florida for. So um, looking forward to that. But anyway, so let's jump into it. So. Um, I started off by talking about how you're an attorney, um, and you're a business and contracts attorney from what I understand. Um, so I kind of wanted to start off by kind of like digging into how you decided you wanted to become a lawyer, um, how you decided like what area of law you wanted to practice, because I know that there's, there's a bunch of different avenues of law that, um, aspiring attorneys can get into, um, and just kind of how the whole um, idea of becoming a lawyer like kind of came about. Um, I'd love to, to kind of dig into that. Yeah. I mean, in a nutshell, basically, I wanted to follow my dad's business, right? So my father's an attorney. And ever since I was a kid, basically, I just wanted to do what he did. And then, you know, as far as so it wasn't really much of a decision, like coming up as I was young, like going through 
middle school, high school, and then to college, like even then I knew I was pre-law and like that was it. I was very like one track minded. I was in law school and then sure enough, got into law school. And then by then I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do with this? Because uh, you, know, you start getting exposed to different areas. Like maybe it's something you didn't consider before. And then as that kind of came about and I was in law school, I started participating in either the clinic or like taking different types of classes and just kind of really uh, exposing myself to a lot to see what I liked, what I didn't. And then from there was just about chasing what I found interesting. And uh, that that's basically was the decision to become a lawyer. And then while I was looking into things that I did and didn't like, I actually had a, I knew I wanted to concentrate more on like the sports entertainment field in some fashion. So once I finished law school and then I had been practicing for uh, about six months, I actually got registered as an NFL agent. So I was no trying way. to do that briefly. Yeah, yeah. It's called the contract advisor, but uh, yeah, I was licensed by the NFL PA, and then basically what I found is that is a totally different business model than being a practicing attorney. So I was kind of like, okay, so. well, this is a... do the the recruiting and the way that you get clients is like a it's a very marketing minded business, and what I, I will say, even though I didn't ultimately pursue that as a career, it showed me a gap. Like I, I got into that and I was like, wow, I know nothing about marketing. I got to figure this out. So Do you, even though is I didn't that know, something, is that something that requires like a specific degree? Does it, like, does it require a law degree? I would imagine, wouldn't imagine that it would, um, but you probably well, need to be some well, kind of higher level intellectual kind of person to, to, in, to make it in that field. I would imagine. Yeah. So when I got registered, which was beginning of last year, um, Basically, you have to to sit for the exam. So there is an exam you have to take. To sit for the exam, you have to have a JD. Oh, you do? I okay. think an MBA qualifies. You have to have a higher degree. So I think uh, JD definitely qualifies. I think an MBA does. Or if you don't have one of those degrees, you have to have seven years of demonstrable contract negotiation experience, which, yeah, so. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty cool. You don't really uh, you don't really hear that too often about um, you know being a registered like agent for um, you know a major um, you know sporting affiliate like that. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a unique thing, and everyone I kind of talked. I will say it's pretty. Uh, it's a lot different. Like I said, it's a very grindstone. To, I mean, anything is, but it's a really uh, marketing driven. You have to be in the client's face with the client on the client, it's a lot more than just substantive knowledge. So yeah, and I would just assume it's probably, me. I would assume it's probably pretty cutthroat too as well. Like that sounds like it would be kind of a very um, like, you know, just dog eat dog kind of world. I would imagine. Unbelievably. Yeah. Even I have friends now that do uh, NIL and are involved in that sort of space. And even them, the level of competition is just absolutely insane because it's it's not about what you're bringing to the player or your client. It's about what the other guys are because right. there's always going to be a bigger fish that's offering something better. So how are you kind of distinguishing? That's sort of the game behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hats off to those guys and anybody that plays it, but it's very cutthroat just, just to throw a stat out there. I think there's, uh, I don't know what, eight, eight, 900 players in, in the league or something like that across all teams and everybody there's when I was licensed, there's over 1200 
contract advisors. So that's not even one player yeah, per yeah. nope advisor. <laughs> Somebody's out. Yeah, well, a lot of people, <laughs> Somebody's not yeah, making yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of people let it go. I mean, that's what I I just knew if I wanted to pursue it, like that was the thing. But uh, yeah, a lot of people don't stick with it in the long term. It's just a very very competitive atmosphere. I mean, everything is, but that in particular is very limited just because of the players. Yeah. So what does your day-to-day look like um, now, like in your current role? Like what uh, what does the life of a contract <laughs> and business lawyer look like? I would imagine like if you're doing contracts, you're probably like reviewing contracts for any kind of like legality issues or something like that. Can you just like kind of outline what, what that looks like for you? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I will say as far as practicing, I was more heavily in a practice world previously, but I can still give you an overview of what that looks like. Whereas now I've transitioned to something that's actually in legal editorial, but it governs the same uh, sort of substantive knowledge. So when I was in practice and my the main focus of my you know day-to-day was the client, a lot of that looks like responding to emails. You're on the phone and you're figuring out what the client wants and then you know, based on what the matter is at hand, it could be you're taking a phone call and trying to figure out how you're going to get a negotiation done. You're thinking about what does the other side want? What do they want? Communicating with the other side is a big, big thing that people miss. Like I see a lot of things go terribly because a lot of the times lawyers want to keep things in writing, you know, so that you're trying to do a very, could be a simple thing, but could be very complicated over email. And sometimes things get lost in what you're typing, whereas it's a lot easier to just pick up and call on the phone, but you might find but, that. But yeah. writing, it gives you where, you know, I, I see the the point for it being in writing because it gives you like this in front of your face to, to like prove that this or that happened or whatever, or this person said this or however it turns out, you've got like a paper trail. Whereas if you do it over the phone, there's no record of anything happening. Yeah. Basically, I mean, and then a lot of the times too, what you'll find is based on who you're working with is, you know, how, uh, how trustworthy is the person? Are they steering you straight? Are you, are you communicating well? Like it's a lot of people skills that are involved, especially for me, because I was always transactional. Like I've never been in court. I never did any of that. I never wanted to do it. I never will do it. Like that just wasn't for me. I didn't like that sort of research aspect of it, but mm-hmm. being transactional, a lot of it is you're either FaceTime with the client, FaceTime with uh, the goal, or it could just be working on, you know, certain types of tasks. Like, for example, one of the things that I did a lot of was business formation or trademark registration. So a lot of that just comes down to either some of its administrative paperwork and other times it's making those arguments in writing, submitting them to the right office or putting together the documents that an LLC needs or, you know, whatever it is. So that's kind of the bulk of the day-to-day when you're practicing as a transactional attorney. Whereas, you know, I mentioned now I'm sort of in a different role, which is I work for Thompson Reuters, which is a it's a legal media company, but one of their products is called Practical Law. And essentially mm-hmm. what it is is a resource for practicing attorneys to get access to certain types of standard documents or resources or things that they might need in their practice to pick up a new area that they sure. haven't had. And for them, I was supporting the intellectual property team. Now I also support the IP&T team, uh, the government team, and the corporate and M&A team. So that was pretty recent. I started with those three services in the last couple of months. And that's a little more of a lifestyle role, which I love. Sure. And I love the company. Yeah, I'm sure. 
you know, above all else, I love the people I work with. So it's been uh it's been a transition, not as stress based, <laughs> but well, uh, it's great. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's a welcome change as well because you know I would imagine I've I've got other friends who were in other areas of law, mostly on the criminal side, and and they said your first like five years is just you're just like grinding, you're just like eating shit, like. You have like no free time. You're just always busy doing work, doing like just always all this stuff. So I'm sure it's been nice to kind of transition into something that's a little bit more like work-life balance e kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it just comes down to the, I you know, I thought it just came down to the person because for me, like I have a ton of, I'm interested in a ton of things, obviously. So like not just law, if I wanted to just mm-hmm. be a corporate attorney and, have the huge salary and be a partner and like all that. Yeah, I could do it, but sure. at what expense, at the expense. Right. Of then you would lose out on these other interests that you have in your life to make you like who you are. So it, it's all a give and take. It's, it's what you, um, what you really value and what you really want. And I think you've probably done enough discovery in yourself and what your interests are to know that sure you might make a lot of money and sure you might have your name, you know, attached to the firm or whatever, but if that's not something that's going to bring you happiness because you'd have to compromise in all these other areas of your life, then, you know, you have to make those decisions for what's going to be best for you. Yeah, exactly. But that, that's been the funny thing is because I always thought when I was coming up, it was like, okay, you're going to be an attorney. Like this is your life. You're, you're locked in, you're working 80, 90, hundred hours a week. I mean, I still do, but just not all law, you know, you right. know, like, you know, so you get to pick your battles and that's kind of been the fun part so far. What has been the most difficult part of your career or um, coming up or going to school or kind of what, what would you outline as the most um, challenging part of that process for you? Most challenging part for me was figuring out where I wanted to be because, you know, we kind of briefly touched on it. It's, it's a huge industry and there's a multitude of things that you can do. And even in a good environment with good people around you, it can be difficult to sort of find your own way, right? When there's people around you that are saying like, oh, you're going to be, you're going to be a partner. You're going to be this. It's very hard to get out of that frame of thinking and not realize there's different avenues within a certain career path. And for me, I always thought the only route was you're going to be partner. You're going to be a firm member. You're going to work this. You're going to be a suit basically. And then I was like, I don't want to be a suit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so that sort of like back and forth internal dialogue, that was probably the hardest part was getting over that and finally being like, you know what? You don't have to be like, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. You can just make whatever you want of it. Getting over that hump sort of freed my mind and it was like, oh, okay, well, what could I do with this? And then sure. that's how I sort of found where I'm at now. Like, I didn't even know legal editorial was a thing. Sure. If you would ask me in law school, I didn't even think of that. So. And I think that there's a uh, an unwritten stereotype when it comes to lawyers, like that they um, just kind of like are like this one track minded like kind of thing where there's like they have kind of tunnel vision on like what they're doing and they're like only dedicate themselves to just this one thing. Um, when kind of like you alluded to, like there's so many different things out there to do that if you just kind of open your mind a little bit, you can really kind of unlock a lot of different possibilities and opportunities. That's why I'm always hesitant to tell people I'm a lawyer if I'm not representing them because <laughs> as, soon, as soon as you say I'm a lawyer, there's one of two things happen. Either people kind of, oh, or right. it's uh, like, and like you kind of get one of those two things. Uh, like people yeah. tend to forget that there's 
the personal side of it. And I, I agree, it's a very demanding career and it's very hard, it's very difficult. But at the same time, it's like, it's just like any other field, just you right. know, it happens to be a professional degree. Right. You know, that's all. Yeah. No, I get that. That's cool. I appreciate you uh, kind of outlining that. That's that's really neat. I always I always enjoy learning about other people's careers and and kind of like how people decided to get into them and like what motivates them and and kind of like what they've learned over that process. So I really appreciate you outlining that. Yeah, that was um, 100%. So you recently, I think recently within the last year or two, I think you moved to Tampa. You were, I think you grew up uh, in the Northeast, um, East Coast, um, Jersey area, I think. Um, Rhode and Island. Rhode Island. Okay. Um, yep. And you recently moved to Tampa. Um, what kind of inspired you to do that? Like, um, I just recently moved to Arizona like six months ago, like on my own. I got nobody here. I just was like, you know what? One day I'm like, you know what? I need to change. And I just like picked up and moved. Um, what kind of, what was your uh, motivation for like picking up and moving across the country? Dude, I, oh, I didn't know you just picked up and moved. I thought you moved for work, but good for you. But no, that takes no, a lot. Just... Having done it, that takes a lot. <laughs> like to just pick up and do that. So good for you, man. But for me, it's funny. I always like telling the story because when people ask why I moved to Tampa, it's, it's funny because basically I always knew I wanted to come to Florida in some capacity. So when I was in law school, and this is probably, you're talking like five years ago, maybe, uh, it was in law school. I was dating this girl at the time and it, it was getting kind of serious. So we were thinking about where we were going to live. And I, you know, I'm like, I want to live in Florida somewhere. And I was busy cause I was getting ready with school. And she's like, Oh, let's take a trip. Like, let's see where you want to live. I'm like, I just pick wherever you want to go. Just pick a place. We'll, we'll just go. So she picked Tampa and then uh, she got this Airbnb in West Shore and we went there and I was like, you know what? If I ever moved to Florida, I can see myself being here. And then about a year and a half after that, we split up. And then a year later, I now live in that Airbnb. <laughs> Stop. Are you serious? I swear to God. That's, that's how I found so, the place. I didn't know where to live. Yeah. So dope. I never, you didn't tell me that. That's, that's really cool. Oh, yeah. No, I, I literally, this was like, it, this, the only reason I lived in this place was because we had got it on that trip. And I was like, so I gotta okay. move. now I gotta, now I gotta ask, like, how did, how did this come about? Like, uh, was the owner like selling the place or did you just like hit him up oh, and be copy. like, yo, oh, okay, okay. I got you. Yep. Yep. That's, uh, that's cool. That's super cool. And then I knew it was right because when I hit up the the leasing office, the mm -hmm. girl was from Rhode Island. Stop. And I'm like, oh my god! Like this, oh, that's this yeah. That couldn't have worked out any better. No, that's that's super yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's how it was. But the whole thing that like inspired me to go, well, like the decision to actually like pick up and go, was I just found. My hometown, not there's anything wrong with it, but I just felt the frame of being my hometown my whole life. Like I went to school, I went to college, like in my hometown, basically. I went to Bryant mm -hmm. University, which is in Smithfield, Rhode Island. Rhode Island's like a 40 minute radius anywhere. <laughs> right. So anywhere in Rhode Island, like you're close. Right. Uh, and then law school, Suffolk was ah, 45, 50 minute drive up into mass. So yeah, uh, I was pretty close. I was in the same spot. I was living at home a lot of the time. So I never really got out of there, really experienced sure. anywhere else. And I was just like fed up with where I was at. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to send it, picked up, packed everything I had in a U-Haul, 
My mom and I drove it down here, put everything in. She boarded me up, kissed her goodbye, and that was that. That's super cool. That's that's really neat. And I think that, you know, you've probably just done some really personal growth as a result of that. Like, I mean, I, I know that I can speak for myself. Like, when I was living in Houston, like, my family was there, and I would, like, see them all the time. Like, you know, I'd have dinner with my parents and, like, do this. Like, it was, like, very, like, routine. It was always nice to, to be there with them and to, like, have that closeness and now that i've been here like on my own by myself like obviously that that doesn't happen like there is none of that um and so it's kind of um allowed me to really grow and um kind of like i guess figure things out for myself not that i wasn't self-sufficient before but when you have like no other option like that other than to depend on yourself and like do things yourself like you really are are kind of forced to um grow and adapt and and learn um different things Dude, 100%. And I'm sure you probably have a similar character trait, but I have this really nasty thing where I, like, I get in my head that I want to do something and then I, I force myself to do it by mm-hmm. putting myself in a situation where I have no choice. You have no choice. To do you it. just got to do it. Yeah. Like for me, I just wanted something new and I'm like, okay, I know if I'm going to have to get out and network, like get in front of people, meet people I haven't had before, start those conversations, be around those people. Only way for me to really do that is go somewhere where I have nothing. And, right. you know, that's kind of how it was. But being able to take that with open arms and just say, like, you know, you might screw it up. You might not have a great time in the first couple of months because my first couple of months were rough. Like, it was bad. And then uh, finally, I'm like, you know, what? OK, you just, you just got to do it. And then that's sort of going on internally. And then the more you, know, you get that one hit and it's like, oh, OK, I could do this. And then, you know, the next couple of days, it's like, oh, OK, I did it again. What did I do? Okay, I can repeat this, and then you keep going out and keep applying it, and that starts to snowball. And then, sure enough, it's like you have your whole life. I kind of want to piggyback off of that. Um, and I have a, a follow up question for you regarding that. But when I first moved here to Arizona, like I said, I knew new, but I knew nobody, um, and it was really lonely for a time. Like I was like contemplating the idea for like the first couple months that I was here. I was like, man, like do I want to move back to Texas. Like I had this like idea floating in my head. I was like. I'm kind of lonely here. Like I don't know anybody. I work from home. Right. So I sit here in this apartment, like all day at work. Like I have like no social interaction. Um, and it was just kind of starting to wear on me mentally. And I was like, man, like I don't want to move back to Texas, but like, I kind of feel almost that I'm forced to, because I'm just like kind of miserable, like in all other areas of life. Um, eventually I kind of got over that and I started talking to people at the gym and like making friends at the gym. And, and that was like a way, obviously you and I are both into fitness, right? So having like friendships and relationships who have those mutual interests of fitness and health and personal development and what, and what have you, um, that kind of made things a lot easier. So I want to ask you, what did you do after you moved to Tampa? You said those first couple months were rough. How did you go about like meeting people and like getting out of your shell and like, trying to be social and and kind of get out and do things. Yeah. So the first couple of months, I pretty much didn't leave my apartment complex because we had the gym here. We have the pool here. I have pretty much everything here. And I work from home too at the time, you know, I still work from home, but it was like, I didn't really have any reason to leave. And then it's like basically the same thing came down to, is this what you want it to be? I basically was like, Mike, is this what you want it to be? The answer was no. So it's like, okay, what am I going to have to do? Well, I could go to a different gym. So I started with that, like you kind of mentioned, gym and having those mutual interests is sort of like great place to start. 
But specifically with Tampa, I mean, I can't speak for every other city, but uh, there's a lot of similar minded people in that they have moved from their hometown. They're trying to find and connect with like minded individuals in a specific place. Tampa has a lot of good groups for that. So I started getting very aggressive with finding interest groups, whether it was, you know, something about business, like I participated in one business or fitness or with, uh, you know, different types of things that I liked, or even just, they have literally just Tampa friends like that. That's a group and people go there, they'll just host events or whatever. And then from there it was like, okay, now you actually got to go and you got to figure out who you right. want. And then, you know, from, it was just more about like really forcing myself to get into those situation so it wasn't you know it wasn't like um did anything crazy but a lot of the hard part was that i had always kind of had that vibe around mm-hmm. me of like this is my hometown I, I know what's going on here like i can fit this role you when i'm very I comfortable moved. and very familiar right you just with your surroundings yeah, you were just it, very comfortable like it was it was no problem for you it's like it was laid out on a platter for me like i didn't have to do anything i had to think about then I moved and I was on my own and it was like, okay, now you're the vibe. What are you going to do? And like that hit me like a ton of bricks because it was right. like, okay, it's just the energy is where I'm going. I'm bringing it with me. And then when I moved and it was like that, I was like, okay, I don't really have an idea of how I'm going to set a frame around myself. What, like, you know, when I walk in, what happens? But th- those were the questions that were going through my mind. And then as I started to kind of, get out and try things that sort of what filled in those gaps. I mean, you're still filling in those gaps every day, but like that, right. that was kind of what snapped me out of it. And I think, and I, and I applaud you for doing that because I know how hard it is. And uh, you know, I think that's, that's the scariest part is just like putting yourself out there and just like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, I guess. Um, and I think that that can be applied to other areas of life where in order to grow, like, say you hadn't done that, let's say you hadn't put yourself out there and you hadn't gone to these different like meetup groups or, you know, business type things, like who knows where you'd be, you know, you, you very might very well might be back in Rhode Island. Like, you know, you wouldn't have this podcast, like all, all of the things we do in life, all of the decisions that we make, they kind of cascade into other decisions. Right. So had you elected to just kind of hang back in your apartment and, you know, feel sorry for yourself or, or whatever, you know, you might be in a much different place than you are now. And just because you made the decision to put yourself out there and start doing these things that were probably uncomfortable, you've now set yourself up for like where you are today. So I think that's really, really, you know, a commendable and, and I applaud you for doing that. Oh, I appreciate it. Dude, same with you. I like the same thing. I mean, I'm sure if you never moved, it might not be like, you know, how seriously are you going to take your podcast or how, how much are you going to be willing to go out there and meet people, that, like whatever you're doing. So right back at you, man. It's the same, it's the same thing. And like you said, just to highlight that things cascade off one another. Like I can speak for me personally, if I had never moved on my own, there is no shot in hell. I would have that podcast. If oh, I had never like done any of that, there is no chance I was a, like afraid of social media, didn't want to say anything. I'm like, you know what? I don't need it. It's not for me. Like, whatever. What it was was just I didn't want to get out in front of people, basically. Right. So, right. like, it's literally exactly what you said. One thing leads to another, and in ways you would never expect or could anticipate from the start. Okay. So, let's move on. So, um, you and I obviously connected through through bodybuilding and fitness. Like, that was kind of the the thing that brought us together. 
Um, and I want to talk about your fitness journey because you kind of have an interesting story when it comes to fitness. Um, so I'd like, you know, you could kind of outline like how you got into fitness, um, what inspired you to, um, you know, get in shape. Um, from what I understand, you used to be quite out of shape um, that we can kind of get into here in a little bit. Um, and, you know, kind of just kind of outline like what fitness has done for you personally um, and kind of how it's helped you um, kind of like grow and become like better um, just in life in general. Yeah, I owe everything to fitness, man. And like literally, I apply it every day in every aspect of my life. So I owe everything to the, the sport, the community, whatever you want to call it. That is like been the biggest thing for me. But yeah, basically, it started with I grew up always had, I was always heavier. I'm not going to say it was genetics. I just always was heavier. I was pretty overweight. Like by the time I was 13, I think it was like 240. So like I was. Very, Damn. very, very. Yeah, yeah I was big. I, well, I played basketball. And my nickname was Jiggle. So I would like shoot threes. It's like Jiggle. That was, I swear to God, that was like my nickname in middle school. So Damn. basically, it's like that mildly. Point, it like, that's like mildly offensive, but it's okay. <laughs> I gotta say though, it was cool then because I was like, you know, it's fine. Like I, I was all good with it, and then it was right. like. Now I'm not good with it. I don't think I like this anymore. So basically, that was kind of the whole decision where it was like, okay, maybe I should do something about this. And I was very thankful because at the time my dad was a powerlifter, so okay, you know he was competing in uh, state competitions and things like that, and he was damn good powerlifter. I mean, he was two forty two squatting seven hundred pounds, like he was good. That's impressive. And uh, yeah, that's impressive. You know, I got I basically was like, I'm gonna go to the gym with him, and then the first time I went, he was squatting and I was taking the weights off, except he had like 495 on the bar and I just took it off one side. (laughs) Yeah. The barbell like dipped over hit hit the T-bar, like clamp plates everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The guy (laughs) from the front desk is like, yeah, you got it. Yeah. So that was my first ever gym experience, but proved a lot since then. I did not quit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, did did not quit. Went back, and then from there, it was just kind of figuring out like how to lift. But obviously, it was because of the you know powerlifting stuff. We were pretty much focused on like intensity, and really pushing. So mm-hmm. I was really focused on strength, and then I never really got too much into like the bodybuilding side of it, and like actually like, getting in physical, like where physical shape and appearance and health is sort of the focus. That didn't really happen until I started looking more into the sport and, like I said, sort of figuring out, like, what I wanted to do with fitness. Like, did I just want to be healthy or, like, did I want to compete? Whatever. And then the more I got into that, uh, I started losing weight. I sort of went through the, my own transformation. So I said it was 240 when I was 13. Like, but I remember by the time I was 17, I was, like, 165. Like, Damn. And small. I bet you were probably pretty like like ripped i would assume if you'd been training and you know strength training and and things like that like i'm assuming you had a pretty decent amount of muscle mass at that time yeah yeah no for sure like i I always had i always had a like decent muscle mass and then it was like i can't be strong and fit at the same time like that was kind of when you're young like you don't know and then right just start like i you know i went through the whole like i'm just gonna eat like turkey breast and and lettuce mm-hmm. like that was literally my diet to get shredded and like <laughs> i ended up losing the weight so i did all that and then 
I was more like, okay, what am I going to, you know, how am I going to do this and manage it with school? But as I was like, you know, going through college and all that, I never stopped lifting. I always was consistently on a lifting program, was always lifting, whatever. Cardio, diet, that stuff kind of got thrown in the wash for a little bit, like when sure. I was going through college and things like that. And then, by, so I had kind of gotten back up and gotten heavier again, maybe to like 220-ish. And then I was in law school and I had started to kind of take things a different direction. I'm like, okay, well, you have to do this for the rest of your life. Like, how are you going to manage it? And that was probably the time to figure that out. So started right. kind of messing with it, whatever. And then uh, I had lost maybe again to like, you know, 200. And then uh, I moved to, or before I moved, I was like, okay, where... Yeah, I basically had gotten out of a, the relationship that I mentioned previously, and that was kind of the driving decision. I'm like, you know what? Let's let's get trend like for real. Mm -hmm. So then I had even more muscle mass. I had like decent shape by then. So then I really started, you know, I started reading books. I started listening to tons of bodybuilding podcasts, like getting all this knowledge as much as I could to figure out like what these guys were doing. Because I'm like, okay, these guys are the best in the world. They're getting in shape. Like I can probably learn something. And then from there, applied that, got single-digit body fat. Like, that was the leanest I ever was in my life. And then from there, it was, like, right at the end of that was kind of when I decided to move. But because I had always wanted to be, like, that peel, look that way, and, like, be that good as a fitness bodybuilder, I guess, like, mm -hmm. Getting that confidence from being able to do that diet, having been overweight the whole time, like never knowing if I could actually like get lean, that was a major driver in the I decision bet. to move. I bet. And then from there, it was like, you can do this now. Like you can do you whatever know, and, you want. And I think that's the really cool thing about fitness, at least from what I've discovered, just me personally, is once you like – get to a point that you never thought you would get to like for me it was adding on size because i've always been small for you it was probably losing the weight and getting shredded like once you achieve like those things that you thought were unachievable it's such a high like it's it, it makes you feel like just so good and it like raises your confidence so much that you think you can do anything which i think is is the really powerful thing about fitness is that it empowers you to you know, think differently about yourself, about what's possible, about like things that you can do. Um, and I think it's super admirable that you were able to do that. Obviously being a kid going through college and then going, especially going through law school, like I'm sure maintaining like diet training routine, all that other kind of stuff while going through law school and getting your ass kicked. I'm sure that was hard. Um, and so for you to, to still prioritize it and like, figure out a way to make it work even though like you may have skipped some cardio sessions or you may have like had to compromise on some things like you still on the whole like made it work and i think that's really admirable because like that's just law school in general is not that i've been but it's just very grueling and it just takes a lot of your time and it takes a lot of like your mental fortitude and so for you to still have the energy left either after like you know a day of studying or like before you went to class or whatever that looked like for you to still find time for it is really really admirable and i'm and i'm very uh that's it's really cool to to hear that's kind of been how you've decided to approach it yeah dude and well that's a, that's the thing is like 
fitness is going to force you in ways that nothing else will to push yourself to that sort of brink, like you said. And it's very tangible, so you can see kind of what's happening, especially when you're losing weight. Not so much when you're gaining, but even still over time, like it's a very tangible thing. You can feel it. It's in front of you. You know that. And then you start to see the fruits of your labor sort of pile up. And it's going to teach you the same things of how to prioritize this or focus on that. And it was the same things that kind of got me through when I was in law school and I was eating out of Tupperware on the train, going back and forth. Then I was coming home and eating the same thing or bringing my meals to school or like going to the, finding a gym that was like down the road because I Mm -hmm. wasn't going to make the one when I got back home. Like there were all different things that you have to do, but it's the same sort of that mindset that allows you to reach those goals in fitness is the same thing that's going to get you to those goals in other places. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and I think that's why fitness is such like a great parallel for life in general, because they really are like, it teaches you the same things, right? Like the, the principles and the, the, the knowledge and things that you gain from fitness can be directly applied to every other area of life. They, obviously, the situations themselves are different, but like the principles behind them are basically the same. So, I mean, I, it's really respectable. It's really admirable that you uh, made it such a priority and you were so committed to that that you just kind of did whatever you had to do, whether that was like eating cold chicken and rice on a train or like finding a gym that wasn't your normal gym or like whatever the case was. Like that's that's super cool that you that it was that important to you that you made like the necessary sacrifices in order to, to still like hit those goals. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, no, of course. And like, you know, it's just, um, it's just like you said, how much you prioritize it and what you want to do with it. And the more that you kind of chase that thing, because fitness is unique. And I think it really forces you to grow as a person as much as it forces you to change physically. Like hundred percent. Like I said, when you're making those decisions, you're having to make those sacrifices. That's, not a physical decision that's up here like right if you want if you you know if you're programmed to do 35 minutes of cardio and you're at like minute 28 and you want to get off the mill that that's not a physical problem that that's up here yep. so absolutely it, it, I, I agree with you that's probably the best parallel for life because any of those mindsets or the things you say or whatever's going to get you to keep going that you're doing and applying to your body you're gonna you're gonna be able to bring that with you. So, what's the inspiration for um, like getting into bodybuilding and, and hiring Brandon as a coach, and like really aspiring? I know I think you mentioned you were trying to do your first show this year. Um, so, what has been your motivation and inspiration for like pursuing competitive bodybuilding as opposed to just like recreational training? Like, where where was the um, where was the decision like? made for you to to pursue the the more competitive side of things yeah i think the biggest thing was i always wanted to do it i just didn't think i could like and then i did the diet and i actually like on my own like before i just got Mm -hmm. in shape and i was like oh i actually could get on a stage because when i was younger and i was looking at all those watching all the guys youtube videos or reading magazines or like you know, see the way they eat and like all this stuff. Or even I, like I learned exercises reading Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger's encyclopedia, like the Joe Weider, yep. the old. Yep. yep. Encyclopedia I, have, I have a copy of that like, in my house. Like, great book. But like, know, it, it's, it's got all those guys in there. You're sitting here like looking at all these superhero characters. Eventually you're like, 
I want to look like that. I want to <laughs> like, do that. Yep. Just, yeah. Yeah. And then for me, it was just never thought I could. So it wasn't so much as like, is it, am I going to compete or this? It was more like, okay, I, this is possible. All right. Now let's take it where it's going to go. And then from there, it's actually hilarious. Another hilarious story how I found Brandon is um, one of his athletes, his other athletes, Nick. I uh, mm-hmm. I went to school with his younger brother in grade school, and that's right. Because if I remember years, right, Nick is from the northeast, right? As far as I know, he's, he's up, from, Rhode from up. Yeah. Oh, he is from Rhode Okay, okay. Yep. We went to the same. He, we, he was a year. He's a couple years older than me, but uh, we went to the same grade school. That's awesome. That's and his so cool. brother was in my my class, and the previous, you know, I I got with Brandon in. Uh, February of 23. So it was probably like August of 22. I bumped into Nick's younger brother at a bar. I, well, I didn't bump into him. I was at the bar with some other friends. Somebody sent me a shot and I'm like, who the hell is sending me to kill it right now? It's like, what? Right. <laughs> and I look up and then, you know, they point out and it's like, oh, the younger brother. And this was right after I had done that diet that I was talking about at the time. So mm-hmm. I was pretty yep. in shape. You're, and right. we got to talking. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, like you into fitness? Like, what are you doing? I kind of explained everything, and then he's like, "Oh, my brother's doing bodybuilding now too. Like, he's got a coach. You got to talk to him, whatever." So that happened. Then, sure enough, two months later, I linked up with Nick. Nick and I got a training session together. We talked about bodybuilding, competing, and all that. And then I had kind of moved to Tampa right after that. Got settled in, and then he's like, "Hey, you know, my coach is looking to add add his roster. Like, you should check it out. I think it'd be a great fit." started talking to Brandon and that was like, I, I, like Brandon and I aligned a lot, like just on like mm-hmm. sort of our backgrounds, like what we had been through in the same sort of mindset. Yep. And like, yep. it was kind of a no brainer. And then, you know, we've been together almost uh, a year now. So it's just been, been awesome. That's, that's so cool, man. That's really neat. And, you know, I think that having a coach, I was just talking to somebody earlier at a coffee shop about the same thing. I think having a coach is um, it's really pivotal. Honestly, if you're if you're trying to take your physique to like the next level, like if you're really trying to be serious about not even necessarily being competitive, I mean, bodybuilding isn't for everybody, but I think if you're really serious about like what your goals are in the gym, having a coach is like super helpful because it takes the whole thought out of like I'm sure doing your diet by yourself was probably like challenging because you had to program your diet, you had to program your training, like you had to do all these things, right? When you have a coach, like all of that is taken care of for you. It's like all you have to do is just execute what they tell you to do, which is significantly easier than coming up with it yourself, at least in my opinion. So I think that that's probably been extremely helpful for you and just like your physique development. And I've been watching you over the last year or so that we've been connected on on Instagram. You've really... Like your training has improved so much. Like your your time under tension is fantastic. Your intent, your intensity in your training is so great. And just your physique in general, like your legs are freaking massive. Like I've I've really noticed your I've noticed your growth over the last year, man. And, and it's really impressive. And I think, you know, a lot of that can be credited not only, you know, to 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 Brandon for for writing the program, but to you for executing it. Because a coach is only as good as the athlete's execution, right? So a coach can give you, he can give you like this perfect plan, this perfect diet, whatever. But if you as the athlete don't execute, then it's really like for nothing. You know what I mean? Like, so 
it, it, the the onus the onus goes both ways. It's on the coach to like program you correctly, but it's also on you as the athlete to like actually do what you're supposed to do and hit your protocols and hit your hit your diet and hit your cardio and hit your training and all that stuff. So props to you, man, because you've uh, you've really been kicking ass in this last year or so. Do appreciate it hundred percent. You too. I'm watching your training videos out there, but your legs are getting freaking massive now too. I've seen the hack spot videos going up there. <laughs> but, uh, but exactly what you said there is exactly the reason why I got a coach. And to me, the biggest thing that's been the difference is the accountability aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So like when I was on my own and I was doing my own stuff, like it was okay, but I had never really like I never took training videos. I never really assessed what I was doing. I was just kind of working my way through things and like assuming mm-hmm. I was doing it right. Right. Whereas as soon as like what I got with Brandon, it was my, been my first coach, but it was like the level of accountability that's required is a totally different ball game. Like Absolutely. You're, because exactly what you said, the onus is on me. Like I also thought I was like, Oh, maybe I'm not doing things right. Or, you know, I'm not following a certain plan or I don't know something about carb cycling or how to do calories. I, I can write macros. Like I, I do that for people. Right. I coach people too. Like I know how to do all that. For me, it was just like, how good is my execution of those things mm-hmm. and how Absolutely. am I really doing it? Like I went into coach or getting coach or being an athlete, uh, thinking like I was going to learn something new and. I have a ton, especially with training, particularly with the training for me, because like I said, my dad was a powerlifter, so I just knew intensity. I didn't know sure. how to stress my quads or how to like right. put the tension on a certain muscle. Body, bodybuilding, bodybuilding and powerlifting are such different um, uh, components. Like there's there's so much difference to each of these different like styles of training. Um, and yeah, you're right. So I'm sure with your powerlifting background, like you had the strength component down, but you probably didn't know like, okay, if I'm doing a specific exercise, like how do I like bias a specific muscle group? Like powerlifting, you just like lift the weight and that's what you do. But in bodybuilding, like it's a lot more intentional. Like you're trying to like on a hack squat, you're really trying to bias your quads and keep everything else out of it. You know, on a, on a incline press, you're trying to, you know, um, bias like your upper pecs and kind of leave your front delts out of it. And just like all these different things that you don't think about in powerlifting. So it's, it was probably a, a big learning curve for you in, in that regard. In that regard. And just in the sense of learning my body myself, because exactly what you said, where it's like the coach is only as good as the, the athlete's execution, as much as someone's giving me feedback or telling me do this, do that. At some point when I'm under a squat, and someone is saying you need more knee flexion, like you have to feel it. The way I'm sitting into my squat and I feel it in my body, I have to learn that, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I know what position I'm trying to achieve, but like I'm not just going in and trying to do a squat just to like make it look pretty. Like I at some right. point need to feel it and figure out where I need to put my body. So when I don't have someone to watch my video or something, I can still train effectively. Right. And I like, think that, that that just comes with experience. Um, that just comes with time. Like people first getting into fitness, it's it's always hard. Like me as a trainer, when I'm like first coaching somebody who's just getting into it, right? I can't say, hey, um, you know, feel the stretch in your lats because they don't know what feeling a stretch in their lats is supposed to feel like. First of all, they probably don't have like developed lats in order to feel anything, right? So you have you have to like um, just like what you said. 
it'll all come down to you just kind of do it over and over and over and over again until you one start to build some a foundation of muscle and two you start to realize like oh like that's what biasing your quads feels like like now i get it now i understand how can i repeat this like how can i get this feeling again over and over and over so that like i can continue to like bias whatever specific muscle group you're trying to hit yeah exactly and like as good as you're cueing them but it's exactly what you said like you have to speak their language like Mm-hmm. They they might not know feel the you, you know they might not say internally rotate your shoulder because right. they don't know what the they don't know that what means, that is but, right so they're like yeah, what is this yeah. <laughs> whereas like you know so you know who you're working with the best way that mm-hmm. you can do it is communicate them the way they understand but that it's exactly what you said like it's that it's ultimately them learning it themselves dude I'm I'm so pumped to hit a, a training session with you someday we really got to make this happen because I think uh, I think we would have a, a killer workout together just the way oh. that. I think I think we approach training kind of the same way. Like we kind of have the same mindset around training, um, and so I think uh, our our workout, whenever that might be, is going to be uh, incredible. I'm looking forward to that. Um, dude, same here, 100. percent And it's been cool to see like how that sort of has evolved over time. Like the approach to training, whereas it's like you're younger, you're just going in, you're trying to move a certain amount of weight, you're trying to hit the log book, this or that, and then now it's become okay, with it's gotten down to the point where it's like with this movement in this mm-hmm. set, I'm trying to really stress time under tension. So I'm going to really mm-hmm. go tempo heavy on like yep. the first couple of reps and then from there just rip. Like yep. it gets that specific. It's just crazy how it evolves. And yes, and and yes, it does. And I think that just comes again from just um, experience and time and learning your body. That That's not something you can jump in day one and say, I'm going to do this for you know, three seconds on the eccentric, I'm going to hold a static hold at the bottom for a second. And then I'm going to, you know, you know, uh, explode on the, on the concentric, like people just getting into it. Don't, they don't know those things, right. They're just trying to like get the foundational movement down. Like, so they don't injure themselves or they don't like, you know, whatever they're trying to just get the movement patterns down. And then you can kind of bring in those advanced principles later on. But once you do hit that point and you are like advanced enough to, to be able to do tempo and time under tension and things like that, like, it takes your training to a completely different level. And I know that since I've started like instituting that in my own training, my physique development has just, it's just like incredibly the difference between just just getting in there and moving weight and moving weight with intention. Like it's, it's so much different. It's yeah. That, and it's, it's like a mental game. I I don't know. It's like every day it's like a mental exercise too, because now I'm not just thinking about like, like get in there. Like, you know, you're actually like, being very deliberate and intentional with the way that you're moving and the muscles you're trying to stress, how you're targeting, and you break it down even further into like training blocks and how you're like organizing what you brought to prioritize for a specific period of time. And like, to, I mean, I can nerd out on that stuff. So that that's Same. like one of the funniest things for me. But like, dude, I, we have to get a training session. I'm so pumped. Absolutely, man. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the final thing I wanted to touch on is your podcast. Um, you. Uh, I started my podcast um, a little over a year ago, kind of like almost a year and a half ago now. Um, and I remember when you and Lucy, who's your co-host, um, started yours, it was, I think, like towards the end of last summer or last fall or something like that. It wasn't that long ago. And so, I remember like when you guys were... Yep. September? Okay. 
I remember when you guys like refer like released your first reel on Instagram. I remember I DM'd you. I was like, bro, you're getting into the podcast game. Like that's sick. Like if you need anything, if you like have any questions, like I know it can be confusing starting out, whatever, like let me know. Um, and since then you guys have had this podcast now. So if it was, if it was September, it's like what, like a little less than half, like a year, like four months or something like that. Literally four months to the day. Yeah. Four months to the day. Well, congratulations on that. But you guys have absolutely exploded on social media, like exploded. Like how many Instagram followers do you have now? Do you know offhand? I I am almost ashamed to say, yeah, 12.8. Okay. 12.8. Yeah. Meanwhile, my podcast has 53. So just uh, <laughs> 53, not not 53,000, not 5,300, 53. So congratulations to you. Um, but I'm I'm really curious to pick your brain just as a fellow podcaster, um, kind of how that came to be and like where the idea came from and kind of just explain like kind of just a short synopsis about what the podcast is about and um like how did you get involved in the idea of starting a podcast in the first place again this is one of those stories where it's like there's supposed to be some <laughs> holy grail answer but this is just exactly what happened so I'm just throw it out there basically i went to this business conference event this is why you go to those things went to the business conference i gotta, event. I gotta start doing that i'm telling you they're big and uh so i went to this event with a buddy and we went and we were talking to people and I guess he met this girl. The girl was Lucy. And sure enough, I didn't I didn't meet her. I didn't know anything about her. And then the next day, he's like, I'm going on a double date with these girls in the group he, in the group chat. He says, I'm going on a date with these double with uh these girls. Like I need somebody else to tag along. And I'm like, Okay, I'll go. So I went and now we're going in thinking this is a, a double date and we sit down mm-hmm. and it's like we just all start talking. There's four of us, two guys, two girls. And I meet Lucy for the first time here in this, and we're all talking. And it's like, okay, let's start a podcast. Like, we should do this. And basically, the original conversation was about uh, feminism and, uh, you know, just how basically society is soft. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the initial conversation. We started there. We all get together and we took pretty immediate action like within the next couple of weeks we had kind of ordered the mics had everything set up and we were going through it and and this and that and this was around like july ish and uh we had keep kept meeting and things like that so we started talking and sure enough the other girl got a boyfriend and the boyfriend's like you're not on the podcast she listened and she was out and then as we started further and we kept going with just the three of us Lucy and I kind of just had been getting feedback from other people and we had been watching the the reels back mm-hmm. before we released anything. And we were kind of like, this is this is probably better with us. Like just our chemistry, where we what the vision for sure. it was between us. So once we got through that kind of hurdle and found out it was just gonna be us, we were kind of like, okay, maybe we're not just saying things for for clicks or whatever. Maybe we should actually like focus on what we want to talk about. What do we sure. want to talk about? Well, like, you know, we're both single at, at the time. It's like, we're both single. We're, uh, we're dating Tampa dating sucks. So let's talk about that. So we ended up talking about that. And basically it started as like kind of dating advice, but we both kind of found ourselves like, uh, maybe this isn't like 
maybe I'm not this person or something sure. I'm not. You were so like, the premise. You kind of like you kind of like found it like inauthentic is kind of what you were that's exactly like getting exactly towards. It. Okay. In the beginning, yes. But then then we shifted. That was the big difference. When so in the beginning, like that before September part, we were very felt very, very inauthentic and very like, oh, we're just doing this. We knew we needed to start somewhere. So we were just like throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what's stuck. Sure. And sure. sure enough, we started with just us in September. And from there, the big change was we're not gonna make this about advice. We're gonna make this about experience. So basically every time we sit down and go and do it, now it's just I'm just sharing what has happened to me, what I think how i think it should work how it might work what what has worked for me what hasn't worked for me and i say all the time don't take my advice like i'm not here giving advice i'm just (laughs) telling you what has and hasn't worked like you know i hate i hate advice so it's like that's kind of like the big driver and now really what we're premising it on is the male and female experience Mm mm-hmm I've noticed that with you guys, it seems like you and Lucy are kind of like a yin yang kind of thing where, um, you know, you guys like complement each other in that way because she can kind of share what her experience is as a female and you can kind of share the opposite as like what it's like being a male in those same situations and kind of like how the mindsets are different and how the thought processes are different and just like what, what the differences are between males and females in certain settings or uh, situations. So I think that's cool that you guys can like play on both angles and like give context to both sides, because I think one that's going to broaden your audience, right? Because you have, you're you're not targeting like one specific demographic. It's kind of just like everybody who fits into like this realm of dating and, and everybody's dated before. So I think everybody can kind of relate to these different things. Yeah, and that's kind of what we found is just how do we make it so that people can connect with us and how do how do we relate what we're doing and like yeah it's branded around dating but a lot of times we don't always talk about like just dating a lot of it's just like personal stories that we share just because that's been you know like you said from the male experience and then from the female experience so like if you're battling through like how you are getting through those things what are your considerations what are you thinking about those are kind of what you know, that's kind of what we wanted to bring was both sides in. And also, like you said, you know, chemistry is there. Like we were able to sort of show that, yes, a guy and a girl can sit at the table and mm-hmm. talk to each other, like, and have sure. a good conversation. Like that was a large part of the goal. So what was the, what has the social media growth been like um, to go from like zero to 12,000, whatever you guys are at? Like, what has that process been like obviously it's been such a short time and you guys have grown so quickly and you've like really kind of captivated a lot of people and I, i've seen your some of your reels where you guys go out to like looks like downtown tampa or like some of the clubs and you'll like go talk to people and just like ask people questions or whatever the case is so it's like really an engaging thing how did like how did this come to be where you guys like were able to grow so rapidly on social media a lot of it was just really being willing to experience and try different things because in the beginning we just started with clips of the podcast and like those did kind of okay and then actually our first big 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 reel to hit was the video of lucy saying you know she just wants to turn her brain off like that one's got over five million views right now and it was like you know what like just stuff that kind of took off but then you learn kind of what to 
hit on and not based on what worked well. Like that we found worked well because girls related to it. Okay. So right. like that was kind of the, you know, evolution from that. But as far as trying to just like get started with it, we really were just willing to try a bunch of different things. Like we went out there, saw what other podcasts or people in the niche were doing and trying to put our own spin on it. Like how do we, uh, how do we bring something different and how do we bring mm-hmm. our personalities into it? So it, like we had just stuck with just podcast clips. It would not have done what it did we think. Right. And then, you know, a lot, large part of it too was just being steadily consistent. Like from September, we posted twice a day, every day for months. Like we really were on it. We, and that was the other thing too, about having a partner. Cause I had never like had a business venture or something like that with mm-hmm. a partner before. So having somebody to be accountable to and me hold her accountable, same kind of thing. It's like, yeah, we have each other. We're not going to, we committed to this. Like we're, we're, we're not backing out. So staying on top of that really, really pushed it along. And then even now, like I said, experimenting with different things, like the I posted a meme middle of last month that's like 8 million. Like you don't know what's going to hit. Like I just did that. I didn't even put a cap. Like I forgot to put a cap in. And it, just, you know, people will tell you like, you got to put this thing in the captions. The algorithm right. likes it. All the all no. the experts. Yeah, yeah, no, like it's literally <laughs> just stuff that people relate to. They're gonna like it. They're gonna get it, and that's the end of it. Like good content is good content. So the more that we were doing, and the more we got rewarded, or like things worked, we stuck to those things and figured out like what about those things worked so well. And I think that ability to really hyper focus on not so much maybe like what we wanted to want to do, but more sure. what was actually helping. Yeah. That decision and that focus really helped us just keep progressing. That's so cool. And I think that's really good advice too. That I mean, like I can take for me, for example, like, yeah, I would love to grow my podcast page on Instagram. Um, and I guess I haven't found like the, the keys that unlock the castle on doing that. Um, but it's probably also helpful to have a second person, whereas I'm just a, a one man show. Right. So I think having that second person to be able to like take some of the load off, because when you do things all by yourself, like it's just a lot, you know, between the, the actual episodes themselves coming up with the, you know, the, the notes and the, the outline and actually conducting the episode and then like trying to pull everything down and post it on social media along with, you know, other life responsibilities like it's just a lot of things um and so i'm sure it's helpful in that regard to have a second person to kind of like hand some some tasks and duties off to so that you guys can kind of share the load 100 percent. and it's even then it's like it's just us it's literally just her and i that work on it so again being able to like commit to it and stay in it Mm -hmm. has been the biggest thing that's kind of pushed us forward because there was a lot there were a lot of times where both of us there in different times too, where both of us would be like, ah, I'm, I'm done with this. I don't, I don't want to do yeah. this anymore. Or like, right. You know, this isn't for me or it's a, it, it's, well, it's a me. big, com- it's a big commitment of time for sure. Um, it's a big, you know, it's, it's just, there's a lot of moving parts to it that I think uh, a lot of people on the outside don't necessarily see. Um, but yes, it, it, it does take a lot of, of, of time and energy to do. So when you do it, you have to invest that time and energy in it when you could be putting that time and energy into other things. So I can, I can see that. And it's been a lot about delayed gratification because mm-hmm. like, it's not like a thing. 
you know, it's not like I sell a product where I have, I get money in exchange for right. what I give you. With right. podcasts, as you know, I'm not asking for money. I'm asking for time. Right. You know, it's a lot, it's a lot harder of a trade off to get people to put in their time and listen to right. it. So like just being able to do that for whoever listens to it is extremely rewarding and we love it. So the final question I have kind of based on that is what have you learned so far in the process of having a podcast, whether it's the actual podcasting itself, like the actual, like, you know, the, the strategy behind it or the, um, what you've learned as a result of your social media growth. Like what are some things that you've learned through the process of, um, hosting a podcast? I would say the biggest thing is that you are capable of way more than you think. Like the biggest struggle for me in the beginning was actually being on camera and talking on camera. I had never had, I have very limited public speaking uh, background. I had very limited, like being on camera in front of thousands of people at once, especially with Instagram. It's like all that's in you, but then, you know, and even the first episode, you're struggling, like trying to talk about it and this and that. And you're watching it back and you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> I could be so much more than this. Right. Like learning how to get past that and just be mm-hmm. like, it's okay right now. Like it's fine, but you're going to get better. And this is what you have right. to do to get better. And you're going to do it. Right. That sort of dynamic of being able to sort of work through those things has been probably the biggest thing for me personally. But then even just as a brand, being able to adapt and change based on the response you're getting and how you're getting to where you want to go. So for us, it was like, you know, we struggled a lot with, okay, it's a dating podcast, but what happens when we're both in relationships? (laughs) You know, we're out of content. Like that was the thing. Like that was an idea. So it's, you know, how did we, how are we going to flex this? How are we going to make this adaptable so that we're bringing something for you know, the long haul, because, mm-hmm. you know, we want, you know, this is going to be a multinational brand at some point. And right. it's like, how do we keep progressing and not being so committed to just like, oh, it's just about dating, but being willing to talk about other things or things that we've experienced personally or what we're doing sure. now or things like that. So uh, those have been kind of the bigger things for me. And in my case, teamwork, like I mm-hmm. struggle a lot with working with other people because I'm very uh, hands-on and I, yeah, I, I sure. like to do the stuff. I like it a certain sure. way. Like I want, yep. you know, OCD, man, that's like, you know, I, I want it like that. Where, and then having to have that trust mm-hmm. in another person yep, just to like either one, and not letting, screw it up or two. Letting go of like off. those responsibilities and like entrusting somebody else to like do them and and accomplish them and kind of just like letting them kind of own something that's i mean that's that's a leadership trait you know then that's something that um like some of the leadership books that i've read um that kind of talks about that you have to as a leader like you have to allow other people to take the lead on things you have to delegate and you have to like be okay with other people contributing right so i mean i think that's that's commendable for you because i'm the same way i'm a i'm a you know a ocd kind of person too and i like things done a certain way and so to be able to let go of that and like be okay with somebody else doing some, some things, right. That's, that's a challenge. Yeah. A hundred percent. And to Lucy's credit, which in the beginning, she was the one she's gone viral, like a lot before. 
So she kind of had, I, I don't know if you knew, there's not really like knowing how to do it. She just had experience with it. Sure. So to her credit, she kind of, we sat down in the beginning and I was like, how is this going to work on social media? Like I can do the talking and I can come up with the topics, but like, how is that going to work? And she's like, just trust me. That's basically all she said. And it was really hard for me to sure. be like, yeah, okay. especially when it's like, <laughs> yeah, when it's like, oh, we just met like a couple of months ago. I don't know. Like, but having the chemistry and just being able to build the bond that we did in that short amount of time and knowing that, like, you just get this feeling where it's like, you know, it's right. And being willing to trust that instinct within you was like, probably the biggest thing for me, like building that trust, not just with her, but with my decision to trust her. Right. And I wanted to circle back on, on something you led with in that discussion, your first point where you talked about like being okay with like sucking at the beginning. Um, you can really translate that into every area of life because whenever you try something new or start something new, you're not going to be an expert at it. Like it's just, it's, it's like, unless you're like part of like this rare 1% of people who like are naturally gifted at, at this, whatever specific thing, like whenever you try something new or do something for the first time, like you're going to suck. You're going to not be as optimal as you can. Like you're going to like screw some things up. You're going to like take longer than you need to. And then over time you find out what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Um, and you just, naturally over the course of repetition, like you just get better. Like it's just part of it. So I'm sure when you first started and if you look back on your first, you know, few episodes that you guys recorded, um, you probably like cringe at some of the things that you either said or like how the flow was or whatever the case is, you're just like, ugh, like that's awful. And oh, then yeah. like over time you just like kind of get better at things. And then you obviously now that you guys have been doing it for a while, like you're more efficient, you know what works. Um, and you just kind of like learn those different things. So that can be applied towards any area. Um, and I just wanted to highlight that that's, that's a very common, like human practice is to like suck initially at something. And then once you just do it for a long time, you just naturally get better at it. So, um, I think that that's, that's something that, um, everybody goes through at some point in time or another. A hundred percent. And I would just to add to that, I think a lot of us get hung up on, how other people are seeing it. So in that scenario, when you're trying something out for the first time and you suck in your head, like, you know, you, you know, you suck, but then right. you're like, I, for me, it was at least like, okay, now other people are going to see me suck. Right? right. But they're not necessarily judging you. Like they know, like you're just starting at some base level. They're like, dude, you're just starting. Like I, I'm even experiencing way- that right now. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I'm experiencing that right now because I'm trying to pick up Spanish. So, like, I'm really forcing myself to, like, speak it with other people. And then originally, it's, like, the same thought process. It's, like, okay, now I'm speaking it. Are they going to be offended? Like, what are they thinking or whatever? It's, like, 90% of the time, the people I speak to, they're trying to, like, help and understand. Mm -hmm. Like, they actually would commend the fact that you're learning the language so you can converse with them rather than just sit there and ignore them. (laughs) Like, you know, so a lot of the times I think it's getting hung up on how people, other people are doing it. Whereas if you can pull yourself out of your own head and sort of take a step back, understand that it's just temporary. You're not going to be as, as hard pressed to 
uh, sort of conquer that, if you will. You know, like if, if I know it's temporary, if I'm that committed to the end goal, it doesn't really matter if I suck in the beginning because I'm going to get there anyway. Right. Right. And I think to a certain extent, like most people, I would think um, generally have at least an appreciation for somebody who tries something new because getting out of your comfort zone in any area, whether you're getting into fitness, whether you're getting into a podcast, whether you're becoming an author, whatever the case is, like doing something that you don't normally do is just, it's challenging by itself. And I think other people, like they look at you and they commend you, or they at least like have an appreciation for what you're doing because they, they look at you and say, man, like this guy's really getting out of his comfort zone and doing this. Like, that's pretty cool. You know, like, I, I wish him well, and I hope that, you know, good things come for him and like, he's able to um, improve and learn and grow and do all these things. So, but you're, you're exactly right. Like I, I think a lot of us, I know me specifically, I'm my own worst critic. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. And we beat ourselves up um, unnecessarily for like not being the best or not having like it all figured out or whatever. When, when it kind of, we can circle back to what we talked about in the beginning where life is a journey and, and, we need to just enjoy the process of doing a thing. Um, and wherever that leads us is where it leads us, but it's all, it all comes back to the process. And this is exactly to talk about one of the things that we started with, but that's why you don't focus on the outcome because when, you know, when you focus on the outcome, now you're detached. You're not, you're always going to be thinking about what is this, you know, what, how do I get to this outcome? Whereas if you're focused on the process and just what you're doing, that's just going to flow naturally. Like yep. you're not trying to get an outcome. In my opinion, you're trying to make it so that it's impossible that you don't achieve that outcome. Exactly. That makes 100%. sense. Yep. And I, you know, that, that's been sort of the biggest change for me and just how I view the world. Well, Mike, this has been a, uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I'm so glad we got to do it. I was really looking forward to this for, for a while. Um, I know I sent you this outline, like, about a month or so ago. So I'm glad we finally got to connect. Um, I had a lot of fun on this show and, uh, you know, I really think that, um, we should circle back at some point in the future and, and do a, a show about training. Uh, cause I think, um, we could have a great episode on training and just training philosophies and, um, principles and all that kind of stuff. Um, where can people find you on social media? Oh yeah, for sure. If you, uh, well, appreciate you having me on, man. Dude, this has been like a work in progress and that you know, just to get on. So huge, uh, hugely thankful that you actually put it together. But yeah, if you, they can find me at Michael Taro Jr. on Instagram. Uh, or if you want to check out the podcast where When Sex Happens on all platforms and then the same thing at When Sex Happens on Instagram, TikTok, all, all the standard social media things. So you can check this it out This has been there. great, man. Any uh, anything else that you'd like to add before we uh, before we head out here? I hope everyone has a killer twenty twenty four because we are just rocking the new year. I uh, I wanted to start the new year off right, so I'm glad we got to, to rip this podcast in early January. But guys, if you liked the episode today, if you found value, if you if it taught you something, if you learned something new, if you gained a new perspective. Uh, please go ahead and share the show. Um, if you guys have been following me for a while, you guys know that I do this. I'm just trying to help people um, really kind of maximize their own personal development, um, get them to help them win in every area of life. Um, and now that it's the new year, I feel this renewed um, spirit and this this new fire um, for getting content out. 
Um, I know I kind of, um, you know, was a little lackadaisical towards the end of 2023, but ready to rip in 2024. So if you guys like the episode, um, please share the show. Also, if you would be so kind to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, if that's where you happen to be listening, I would greatly appreciate it. And stay tuned for more content. I've got a ton more um, one-on-one interviews lined up for this year uh, that I'm starting to put together. Um, It's going to be a great time, and I really would appreciate if you guys came along for the ride. So that's going to do it for episode 21 of the Set the Bar podcast. I'll see you all next time.